Well, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and I'm glad that you're here. I want to welcome everybody here on this, uh, to the Bellingham campus. also want to wa- welcome those who are visiting with us at our Ferndale campus and watching there. As well, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online. We're just thrilled that you've taken this time to be able to, to set aside and come into God's presence. So I have been dreading this weekend for quite a while. Some of you are already looking at your outline going, God, I knew I should have taken a break this weekend. I've not been dreading it because of the topic or because of the very predictable response that's going to happen with some people. No, I, uh, I've been dreading it because of an admission that I knew that once again God was going to ask me to make. For the past two weeks, we have been talking about obedience. We've been talking about surrender. We've been talking about the practical steps that God calls his people to cross the line and lay stuff down. I've been preaching my brains about it, knowing that this weekend, next weekend, I was going to have to sit in front of our church family and talk about an area of my life which for a very large part of my ministry, I was neither obedient nor surrendered in. I've been a pastor for going into 21 years. For the first nine years of my ministry life as a pastor, I was disobedient and most definitely not surrendered in the area of personal stewardship and my finances. I knew what the Bible said about how I was supposed to handle my money. I just chose not to do it. I did not surrender, I did not obey, and last week we learned that disobedience has a different definition than Scripture. It doesn't sound as nice as simply being disobedient. God calls it rebellious, arrogant idolatry. And that's exactly what I was guilty of when it came to this topic. I had lots of excuses, I did couldn't afford it. God already had my time and any talent that he'd given me. I was completely strapped. I had lots of excuses, but the bottom line for me was this. I simply didn't trust that God knew what he was talking about with this topic of personal stewardship. I thought somehow that God was devoid of knowledge when it came to modern financial issues, so I lumped Jesus in with the guys on Wall Street who I don't think have a clue about my normal life and how life works on my street. 11 years ago through a very godly man who confronted me with grace and mercy. I finally had to confess to God that I'd rejected his word and his commands and that I was tired of doing it my way because my way was just not working, even though I told myself it was otherwise. I confessed that I'd made my wallet an idol in my life and that the idol needed to go. So for the past almost 12 years, My wife, Laurel, and I have been following and handling our finances according to God's plan, and I can say this from personal experience. While it's not always the easiest way, it is a way that results in peace and joy because you simply know that your wallet's not your God anymore. Jesus is. And that brings you a level of peace that not many people ever have an opportunity to get to. I still remember and laugh about the first time I taught stewardship at Christ the King. I didn't want to do it for one reason. I wanted people to like me. That was the reason. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it because of the stigma the TV evangelists have created 
with their never-ending appeals for somebody to please give them a seed gift so they can personally guarantee that it'll be returned to you 1,000-fold by sending them a check or a money order of all of your savings in Jesus' good name for the glory of God and so they could park a Ferrari in their driveway. I have a few words for that kind of teaching, but I can't say them out loud because then I would have to repent. But the Bible actually tells me that just because I thought them, I'm going to have to go and repent anyway. I didn't want to talk about this because I didn't want to contribute to the stigma that churches have when it comes to the fact that some people believe that all we ever talk about is this topic. So for the record, for everyone in this room and everyone in the room in Ferndale, we talk about personal finances at Christ the King about once a year. So if you say anything to the contrary when it comes to this church, you're lying and you shouldn't do that or you're going to have to confess and repent and make it right, right alongside of me to Jesus. I've actually learned to enjoy this topic over the past seven years. I enjoy it because of the controversy that swirls around it. I enjoy it because my unsaved friends actually say, I don't know what you Christians are so unbelievably uptight about when it comes to this thing. Just tell us what the Bible says because we want to take that as an opinion. I kind of enjoy it because of how it makes a lot of pre-processed Christians squirm. I got a lot of brothers and sisters that like to send me a lot of really fancy letters with lots of big fat theological terms. And whenever we talk about this topic, they get really, really, really quiet. I wonder why that is. So before I begin, I'm going to make some important statements so that we're all on the same page. Number one, we are not talking about this because Christ the King is in financial trouble. Everybody get that? Are we completely clear on that? We're not talking about this because we're in a crisis. We're not. We're not talking about this because it's just that time of year again, and that's what Grant always does. We're not talking about a money issue this weekend. We're actually talking about a heart issue. We are talking about this because of what this can do if it's not surrendered to Jesus. This is a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. And yet I've watched parents choose this over their children. I've stood by hospital beds talking with people who have had heart attacks and nervous breakdowns chasing what's inside of a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. I have watched people sell their integrity and their character to get more of this. I've watched brothers not speak for decades because this got in between them. I've watched this piece of leather filled with paper and plastic slowly but surely steal the souls of people who couldn't handle God's teaching when he said, I gave. I gave. We're talking about this because in case you haven't noticed, it's a hot topic everywhere but where it should be. Just open up a newspaper, turn on your television. What's everybody talking about? They're talking about finances. We need to talk about this because Jesus talked about this topic more than he talked about heaven or hell. I think that's a very big deal. We're going to talk about this because last fall an amazing thing happened. The money markets collapsed, collapsed. church attendance went through the roof. People freaked out and came running back because suddenly, because everything was freaking out, people were going, in God we trust, in God we trust, in God we trust. And a year later, when people are starting to feel just a little bit better about things, I think there's a temptation to put God back on the sideline and to exclude him from the very area that he called us to. We are going to talk about this this weekend because I'm under orders 
I opened my Bible for my quiet time on Monday, and this is what was on my page. Timothy was a young pastor, and his mentor, Paul, charged him with the text that became my marching orders for this weekend. So if you don't like my sermon content, take it up with my boss. 1 Timothy 6 says, let's read it together. I invite you to follow along with me as I read either from your outline or on the screens. The Bible says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So before I even open my mouth, there is no guilt, no shame, and no condemnation. Just scripture. That's what we're going to talk about. What's this passage telling us? Well, it's telling us this. It's the first blank in your outline. It's telling us that we're rich. Whether we admit it or not, we're rich. Now, some of you look at the passage and go, command those who are rich. I'm out. I don't qualify. Yes, you do. Let me explain why. If you're here today and you had a meal in the past 24 hours, you are 50% richer than half of the world's population. That's just fact. If you are here today, you have had one meal and slept in a shelter of any kind last night, you are more wealthy than 70% of the world's population. If you ate once, slept inside, and actually owned the shelter you lived in, you're wealthier than 80% of the world's population. If you own a home, drove here in a vehicle, are able to eat today without thinking about where it's coming from, bought a coffee at the espresso stand, and have a cell phone, you are in the top 2% of the world's most wealthiest people. Don't tell me we're not rich. We are unbelievably blessed without any idea because most of the world's population exists on less than four bucks a day. That's true. People say to me, I'm not rich. I say in return, in comparison to who? Because in comparison to the rest of the world, you are Bill Gates, just so you know. We've been blessed beyond measure. And the scary thing is we've lost touch with that. Now, don't go and beat yourself up over that burden. I mean, right? You know, what a terrible thing to, for God to have inflicted you with. Blessing after blessing after blessing and all kinds of wonderful things and convenience. And Scripture says you're not supposed to feel guilty about it. You're actually supposed to enjoy it. So when we're done tonight, go enjoy. It's biblical, all right? You know, we're supposed to thank God for it. We also make sure that we understand the difference between having lots of stuff and being blessed. I've been in the third world on multiple occasions. I thank God for everything, every time I get to do that. Because when I go, I learn a lesson about wealth. I would sum it up in this sentence. Rich people are not always blessed. But blessed people are always rich beyond our wildest imaginations. Number two. This passage teaches us, don't tie your significance to your stuff. Don't tie your significance to your stuff because it's not your stuff, and stuff wears thin. I mean, this, I, I would think we would know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're not your car. You're not defined by your house or your 401k. 
you're not what you own. And if you are what you own, it's scary because that means you don't own your stuff. It actually means your stuff owns you. Paul tells Timothy, don't get cocky because you have stuff. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. Because he'd probably been to a funeral or two. I've noticed something about funerals. There's no pride in a coffin. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. It just doesn't work that way. At some point, all of your stuff is going to get burned and left here for your kids to fight over. Some of you will see the little bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's not true. He who dies is still dead and just leaves a bigger pile of garbage for the rest of us to clean up after they're gone. Amen? This is it. Many people who put their faith in money were extremely humbled last fall when suddenly the God of money got knocked on his backside and suddenly we weren't cocky anymore. No, we were just like, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. You know what? He has. Suddenly our priorities got moved around. Suddenly we weren't taking gifts for granted anymore. Suddenly we weren't just pulling up to the gas pump and "Ah, let's throw another 50 bucks in. What's the big deal? Suddenly we were thinking about stuff we hadn't had to think about in a really long time. And I think it was awesome. Because suddenly what we thought was important wasn't important anymore. I hope and pray we never lose the lessons of last year's financial crisis. Number three, this passage teaches us Don't put your trust in earthly wealth. Verse 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I mean, can anybody else testify to how nuts it is to put your faith in worldly wealth after last year? I mean, seriously, anybody else got a 301k left? You know? Was a 401, it's not. Two years ago, it was a 2.801. Now it's at least a three. You know, we're headed in the right direction. People that put their faith in earthly wealth. Well, Jesus had an interesting story in Scripture. Jesus told a story in Scripture about a man who had lots of stuff. In fact, he had so much stuff, he had to literally tear down his storage units and build bigger units in order to be able to house all of the stuff that he had. The night before his big building project was getting ready to get kicked off, he tore down all the little barns and was building bigger barns for all of his stuff. The Bible says that something happened. He died. His soul was required of him. His earthly stuff suddenly didn't matter because his soul was not on this earthly soil anymore. And God has a very blunt name for this guy and for people who spend all of their life trying to accumulate stuff. He called him a fool. It's a little harsh, right? He called him a fool and then Jesus said he was a fool because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Stuff doesn't make you rich. My daughter hugged me this morning. I'm a rich man. My son, who's 16, told me that he loved me today. I'm a rich rich man. My wife has been with me for more than 20 years and has shown no signs of deviating from that path. (laughs) I'm a rich, rich man. I prayed to Jesus today and he listened. I am a rich, rich man. I have a family who loves me when I get it right and when I get it wrong. I'm a rich, rich man. 
and so are you. Number four, the Bible teaches us to trust God. He'll provide you with everything you need. Now, I want you to notice that it says God will provide everything you need, not necessarily everything that you want. People think stewardship is all about money. It actually has very little to do with money. It's all about trust. And if you look at your money, you're going to see an interesting statement printed on it. It does say, in God we trust. This is really about trust. I've taken the word trust and turned it into a simple acrostic of God's plan so that you can go and check it out and find out whether or not I'm lying to you or not. If you've been at Christ the King for a while, if you're watching at Ferndale or Bellingham, you know. You've seen this before. This is old news to many of you, but I think it's worth mentioning again. So here's how to trust God with this essential area of your life and your soul. The T stands for tracking your finances. Proverbs 27 says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. You want to modernize it? Just put the word stocks in there. You're good to go, all right? Give careful attention to your herds. Riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. God said you should be able to track every single dime of his stuff that he trusts to you to steward. Okay? I used to use and employ a financial plan that I called the patented Grant Fishbook. If you're within 400 bucks, call it Good Method. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. It was not biblical. Here's what we need to know. Everyone in this room is an asset manager for Jesus, and you should be able to track every red cent that he's trusted to you because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. Here's the R. The R stands for return 10% to its rightful owner. We teach the principle of tithing at Christ the King because it's simple and it's a good place to start. Go ahead, send me your letters about, well, we're New Testament church and all the rest of it. I would love to have that conversation with you at some point because ultimately, when it comes to tithing, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, and he was a good Jewish boy, and so there it is, okay? Malachi 3 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing, you'll not have enough room for it. This is the tithe. It's 10% of our income. Why 10%? I have no idea. God's God. He can set the number wherever he wants to, okay? I mean, I have no idea. I want to answer a question, though, because I always get asked it. Does God need this to stay in the black? Like, is he having an economic crisis, too? No, that's why this is about trust. People often ask me the question, Pastor, should I tithe off of my gross or my net? To which I answer, do you want to be blessed off your gross or your net? doesn't matter, okay, is what it is. Here's the you. Use good planning to gain victory. Proverbs 25, biblical statement. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. God wants us to look to the future and make wise decisions. I know we don't like the B word, budget, but everybody in this room should have one, and everyone at Ferndale should have one. Here's S. Biblical statements, save for the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. One of our biggest problems as a nation is that we live in the moment. We're compulsive. We like to buy it. I need that computer. Until two days later, that computer's obsolete, and then I need that computer. That will make me happy if I just have one of those. We tend to live on that side of it, instead of being godly and biblical and actually saving. Last year, for the first time in four decades, 
Americans actually saved a portion of every dollar they, for the first time in four decades. We actually saved a little bit. You want to know how much it was? One one hundredth of one percent. That's a step up from two years ago when we actually saved minus 1.4% for every dollar we earned. We've been living on the wrong side of this equation. And what's the T in trust? It's a cool testimony that says we can testify that my God is enough. Hebrews 13.5, biblical statement, keep your lives free from the love of money. Make sure you understand that, loving it. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I sake you. We sing the song. All of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy. Do we mean it? More than enough. Let's head back to Timothy. What else does the passage teach us? Number five, we're to give ourselves away in good deeds and generosity. Verse 18, command them. I tried to see if that word was anything other than command because it would have made it nicer for me this week. It means command them. So here it comes. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. I've shared my, co my cookie story here before, Christ the King. Sitting in a coffee shop one day, ordered a cookie. Had it sitting on the edge of my table, drinking my coffee. Little kid comes walking over, looks at my cookie, looks at me, looks back at my cookie, looks at me again, and starts walking his fingers across the table <laughs> till he can hook one finger into the side of the plate and then slowly starts to pull it back across towards himself. So I marched my fingers across the table got a hold of the plate and pulled my cookie back to me, to which he responded, didn't your mother teach you how to share? <laughs> Christ the King, didn't our spiritual father teach us how to share? For God so loved the world that he gave. For the record, the kid left with my cookie, just so you know. <laughs> you know, I have a hard time saying that to a church as generous as this one is. Because this is a generous church. I live it every day. I watch our food bank. I see the ministries happen around here. This is a generous place. And for those of you who are generous and cheerful and you've got this thing down, thank you. Thank you for being what Scripture says we're supposed to be. You know, you've heard me say this before. Before God ever asks you to do anything, He always goes first. Well, if you read your Bible, you will see a solitary and beautiful truth. And it's the truth that God gives. That God gives extravagantly. That God gives sacrificially. That God gives joyfully. That God gives ultimately. 
Whenever I get to talk about stewardship, the thing that just kills me on the inside is regardless of what types of, of objections I line up in front of them, God still has this amazing example that trumps them all. When it came down to a choice between my soul and his son, he gave Jesus. Why would I not want to be like that? Why would I not want to just pour out everything? I'm just this great big conduit. Everything flows through and it flows right back. Freely you have received, freely give. That's what scripture says. And of all of the people on the face of the earth that should be able to look at this and go, yes, it should be the people of God who've received so much from our Father. Gordon MacDonald said this in a little book called Generosity. He said this, from the moment he imparted life to mankind to the climactic gift of salvation through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, God set the supreme example of radical, sacrificial giving for his followers. God went first. And now he says, trust me. I want you to do the same. Here's the final little point from our passage in 1 Timothy. It's to make a wise investment. Verse 19 says this, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God says, if you trust me, I'm going to allow you to experience blessing that's bigger than this. What an amazing gift. I try to explain tithing to my friends. I actually have a lot of unsafe friends. I've got one guy, especially in my life, and, and we talk about this every year because he goes, okay, let me get this straight with this tithing thing, okay? So you work for the church, and they pay you, right? I'm like, yeah. And then you take what they pay you, and you take 10% right off the top and give it back to them. That's nuts. He said, no. It's an investment. It's an investment. And it keeps this from becoming an idol. You know what the return on my investment is? Last weekend, 79 people got into that baptismal tank and said, Jesus is enough. Last week, the line at the food bank went all the way around the side of the building and out into the parking lot. That's my return. People who would have been hungry, and they're not going to get hungry because somebody cared enough to buy them dinner. If you did, thank you. If you're a generous giver at CTK, God used you to make that happen. Tuesday night, band of brothers... Doxa, rooms filled with people finding hope and wholeness in Jesus' name. And you, you, make that possible with your generosity. Whether it's a little or a lot, God sees your heart. And on behalf of those people, I want to thank you. I was laughing about this last week. So my buddy, I like to run things by him because he has no filter, no church filter whatsoever. It just, it's awesome, right? 
he's come a couple of times and I've had an interesting conversation ongoing with him. He said this to me. He said, he goes, Grant, you know what I like at your church? I like that thing at the end when you let everybody off the hook. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, that thing that you do at the end. So just so you know, at the end of every service, not just this weekend or next weekend, every service, I always finish by saying the same thing. We're going to bring, some of you could probably say it with me, right? We're going to bring the service to conclusion by returning back to God our tithes and our offerings. And if you're our guest, we want you to be our guest and let the offering pass you by because we don't want anything from you at all. Thank you for trusting us with an hour of your weekend. We hope you'll come back and see us again really, really soon. My buddy's question was this. Classic. How long do you get to be a guest before you can't invoke visitor status anymore? <laughs> That's awesome. So let me clear it up for you. If you're visiting, that bucket is not for you. Thank you for coming. I hope you'll come back in a couple of weeks when we're talking about something else. What we talk about 98% of the rest of the of time for the rest of the year. If you're here and you're hiding and you're healing, no worries. You just hide and heal until God can put you back together. I've been there. I have. If, uh, if this is your home and this is your church, no worries at all, unless, of course, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you that you stopped being a visitor nine years ago. So we're clear. If you're a follower of the Most High God, this is His standard. And for you, this is a question of obedience and surrender. A couple of weeks ago, I was leaving out the back door, hopping in my car, going home. A lady came pulling around the back of the building, and she said, she goes, Pastor, is there anybody left? And I said, no, I think I'm the last one out of here. And she handed me an envelope. started to cry, unpacked her story. She chose between groceries and giving. She apologized to me. She, go, she said, it's not much. I said to her, it may not be much to you, but to God, it's everything. Because you're being obedient. That's the sacred trust of what we're talking about this weekend. Following God's standard for stewardship has nothing to do with you and me. I have no idea what anyone in this church does or does not do, and I never want to know. I never want to look at anyone's soul at Christ the King and see anything other than either Jesus or their need for Jesus. I don't ever want to see a dollar sign. I think that would be an absolute travesty. I have no idea what you do. So you can just leave me out of the equation completely. This is between you and the God who gave his only son that you could find life in him. And believe me, I fully understand how tight times are. I do. But I also know from experience that God is worthy of my obedience and that he promised to supply all of my needs according to the riches that are available through his son and just so we're clear that this is what this is all about, his son is named Jesus.
it's not my favorite topic, but I like talking about it. Because if nothing else, it allows all of us to have to make a decision whether or not we're going to worship him or it. The choice is up to me, and it's up to you too. Let's pray together.